France's President Emmanuel Macron visited China this April and met with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Following the meeting, Emmanuel Macron made comments to the Western media that has angered the United States and neoconservative politicians in Europe because he said that Europe needs to be independent of the U.S. And he said that Europe cannot simply be a follower or a vassal of the United States. Now, those comments are refreshing to hear. It is good to see that there are politicians in Europe who do recognize that they are basically being subordinated by the United States, which is helping to destroy their economy and trying to subordinate all of Europe to join the U.S. in its new Cold War on both China and Russia. However, there's a big asterisk here. These comments by Macron are being taken as historically, you know, very significant, representing a transition in Europe, that Europe is going to move away from the U.S., we should not be premature here. Honestly, I do not think these comments are that significant. They're not really anything new. We have heard Macron made comments like this in the past. In fact, when Donald Trump was president in the US, Macron even called for Europe to create its own new European army to protect itself, not only against China and Russia, but also against the United States itself. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Furthermore, Macron claimed that Europe was going to go around the illegal sanctions that the U.S. under Trump imposed on Iran. Europe supported the Iran nuclear deal and Europe wanted to trade with Iran. And France played a key role in helping to develop a new payment system called Instex. And they developed it in 2019. And what happened? Once again, basically nothing. It did some minor transactions, and in early 2023, it was shut down. So, yes, Macron, the French leader, is calling for strategic autonomy and independence for Europe from the U.S. However, rhetoric is one thing. Actions are another. And today I'm going to talk about and analyze the actions of Europe, the geopolitics and economics of Europe, and the new Cold War that the U.S. is waging on both China and Russia. And I'm going to argue that we should be skeptical of these comments made by Macron. They are a welcome development, but until he puts his money where his mouth is, it's a lot of empty rhetoric. As always, in my analyses here, in the description below, I have linked to an article over at geopoliticaleconomy.com that has all of the sources that I'll be discussing today so you can fact check it for yourself. Macron took a three-day trip to Beijing this April, and this is a report in Xinhua, which is China Chinese state media. And if you read it, it's very boilerplate. It clearly expresses that China does not have much confidence in Macron. There are a few notes I want to highlight in this a statement from Chinese state media Xinhua. It notes that President Xi of China noted the profound historic transformation taking place in the world. And he noted that they are firmly advocating for a multipolar world with greater democracy in international relations. And given France's role as a permanent member of the UN Security Council, it could potentially play a constructive role. So this is she hinting that Europe should 
be a new pole in a multipolar world. It should not simply be part of the US-led pole, the US-led hegemonic imperial order that it has been really for decades. Now, when Macron went to China, he was not alone. The top official in the European Union, the de facto EU leader, Ursula von der Leyen, she also went. And there's a very symbolic photo of Macron, von der Leyen, and she sitting in a room in this big circular table with a huge distance between them. So this symbolically reflects the political distance between these leaders. Clearly, she did not expect to have very positive relations, especially with Ursula von der Leyen. Now, in response to the media coverage, we can see that apparently she and Macron had a much better meeting than she and von der Leyen. And that's not surprising because Ursula von der Leyen is a complete neoconservative and she clearly believes that the future of Europe is with the United States in this transatlantic imperialist alliance. Macron allegedly, according to his rhetoric, is more skeptical. But again, we need to look at the actual policies of France and not just the rhetoric of its leader. Now, the most interesting report on Macron's trip to China was an article published in Politico titled Europe must resist pressure to become America's followers, says Macron. And while he was leaving China, Politico had an exclusive interview with Macron. And in this interview, Macron said that Europe must reduce its dependency on the United States and avoid getting dragged into a confrontation between China and the US over Taiwan. He called for Europe to have strategic autonomy and to become a third superpower. And he said that it would be a great risk if Europe, quote, gets caught up in crises that are not ours, which prevents it from building its strategic autonomy. So this is clearly the leader of France, one of the most powerful countries in the EU after Germany. It's probably the second most powerful. This is Macron saying that Europe needs to be independent of the US and we it is not in our interest to join the new cold war on China. We should not join Washington in waging this new cold war on Beijing. And the comments that Macron made in this interview that really angered western politicians the most was when he spoke about Taiwan. And he clearly said that the US sees Taiwan as this existential issue. It's not existential for us. We should not focus on it this much. And this is the exact quote from Macron. The paradox would be that overcome with panic, we believe we are just America's followers. The question Europeans need to answer is, is it in our interest to accelerate a crisis on Taiwan? No. He says clearly, no, we don't want a conflict over Taiwan. He says, quote, the worst thing would be to think that we Europeans must become followers on this topic and take our cue from the U.S. agenda and a Chinese overreaction. And while Macron was making this, these comments, the separatist leader of Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen, was actually visiting the United States and also meeting with right-wing leaders in Central America, the very few who, who support separatism in Taiwan, which internationally, according to international law, is recognized as part of the People's Republic of China. Taiwan is a province of, chi of China. But anyway, so this Taiwanese separatist leader, Tsai, 
she actually went to the United States and she met with the Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who is one of the most powerful officials in the U.S. government. So it's another example of U.S. support for separatism on Taiwan Island. Now, to be clear, we don't know exactly 100% what Macron said about Taiwan because actually the interview was censored and Politico put an editor's note at the bottom of the article. And it notes that as is common in France and many other European countries, the French president's office insisted on checking and proofreading all the president's quotes to be published in the article as a condition of granting the interview. This violates Politico's editorial standards, but we agreed to the terms in order to speak with the French president. And the French president's office asked that some parts of the interview be cut. Specifically, they cut parts of the interview in which Macron spoke more frankly about Taiwan and Europe's strategic autonomy. This is pretty funny because the Western media loves to pretend that it's so free and independent. But here we have a Western regime censoring the media, which is exactly what they constantly accuse China and Russia and Iran of. And yet they're the ones willingly doing it. The French president gave them an interview and then said, actually, you need to cut what I said. I don't want you to report that, even though I did that in, in an interview with you. So the point is that what we know from this interview is only part of what Macron said. And it's clearly not exactly what he thinks. And I think we can read between the lines and conclude that Macron really doesn't care about Taiwan. It's the United States that is so concerned about Taiwan. One, because the U.S. wants to turn Taiwan basically into a de facto U.S. colony like it was from the 1950s until the 1970s. And the U.S. wants to build a military base on Taiwan again. And the U.S. wants to put nuclear weapons on Taiwan Island and aim them at mainland China like it had from the 1950s until the 1970s when Washington normalized relations with Beijing. I'll also add that Taiwan is, is the world's leading producer of semiconductor technology and the U.S., not only U.S. companies, but the U.S. military needs access to that Taiwanese semiconductor technology. So that's what motivates the U.S. to support separatism in Taiwan. It's not about democracy or freedom or any of that propaganda nonsense. Now, getting back to this report from Politico, the article notes that Ursula von der Leyen, the de facto leader of the EU, her meeting with she was not nearly as positive. It was not nearly as uh, successful as Macron's was. And I think that's clear. It's why it's easy to explain why. And it's because Macron, at least rhetorically, has been calling for Europe to be more independent. The article notes that Macron argued that Europe has increased its dependency on the U.S. for weapons and energy and must now focus on boosting European defense industries. He also suggested Europe should be should reduce its dependence on the extraterritoriality of the U.S. dollar. So that's an acknowledgement of the fact that the U.S. dollar is extremely powerful and the U.S. uses it as a geopolitical weapon, imposing sanctions on any country that that carries out actions that Washington doesn't like. And Europe recognizes that it itself can be victimized by this aggressive U.S. economic warfare strategy. And then once again, Macron called for Europe not to become vassals. The article notes that some leaders in Europe have joined 
much of the world in complaining about the weaponization of the dollar by the United States. And the article notes that some Western leaders have criticized France for not allegedly for not supporting Ukraine enough in the proxy war in Russia. I'll come back to, back to that point later. I think the main point to take away is that France is definitely on board with the proxy war on Russia. It's not as anti-Russian as the U.S. would like it to be. The main anti-Russian countries in Europe are Britain and Poland and the Baltic states, which are viciously, vehemently anti-Russian. Germany and France are anti-Russian, but they're not as anti-Russian as the U.S. would want them to be. So Macron is certainly not going to be an ally of Moscow or Beijing. But I think it is fair to conclude that Europe sees Russia as a much bigger threat than it sees China. And a lot of this has to do with economics. The first point to stress here is that according to official data from Eurostat, this is EU official statistics, in 2020, China was the largest origin for goods imported into the EU, while the United States was the largest destination for goods exported by the EU. There's a map showing EU exports as of 2021, and around 400 billion euros of EU exports went to the United States, but about 224 billion euros of exports went to China. So that means that China is up there with the US and Britain as some of the top export partners for the European Union. However, in terms of imports, China is even more important. And that's why the European Union declared in 2020 that China took over the position as the EU's main trading partner in goods from the US. So the US had been the EU's top trading partner and now China is the EU's top trading partner. China represents 16.2% of the total trade and the U US represents 14.7% of the total trade. There are two very useful graphs here from Eurostat that show the top export and import partners of the EU as of 2021. 22% of imports came from China compared to just 11% from the US and 18% of EU exports went to, to the United States 13% went to the UK and 10% went to China. Another important detail here is that 8% of imports came from Russia. This was as of 2021. Obviously, the situation has changed a lot because of the proxy war in Ukraine and the escalation of the proxy war in Ukraine in February 2022 when Russia invaded, although that war actually began back in 2014, not in 2022. So clearly, as Europe tries to find new trading partners and diversify away from Russia, it cannot abandon China. It would be economic suicide for Europe. And that explains why Macron is taking this much more conciliatory tone toward China. It is a significantly more important trading partner for the EU than Russia is. Now, we should also keep in mind, of course, that inside the European Union, France has the second largest economy after Germany. The most recent available data shows that Germany has a nominal GDP of around $4 trillion and France has a nominal GDP of about $2.8 trillion. 
So Germany makes up around 24% of the size of the entire EU economy, and France represents nearly 17%. Britain also has a large economy of around $3 trillion in GDP, which makes it a bit bigger than France and smaller than Germany. Of course, Britain left the European Union. And at the same time, we should keep in mind, I mean, the US GDP is around $24, $25 trillion. So the US economy is still bigger than all of Europe combined. But it is important to see that some of the large economies in Europe, at least on paper, are publicly talking about having a more independent policy and much more skeptical of the US new Cold War against China. It's actually not just Macron, but also the Chancellor of Germany, Olaf Scholz. He visited Beijing in November, and then he wrote an article also in Politico. It shows how close Politico is to these Western leaders. And he wrote an op-ed for Politico in which Scholz said, we don't want to decouple from China, but can't be over-reliant. So basically the, the message of his article was, Unlike the U.S., we, we do not want to break with China. We can't just wage a new Cold War on China. This is a crazy idea. China is our most important trading partner. However, he said, we can't be too dependent on China. And actually, he made a very interesting comment, Olaf Scholz. He said that we are seeing the emergence of a multipolar world. And Scholz said that we must defend the sovereignty and, inter and territorial integrity of all states. No country is the backyard of another. That's also true for Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So that's clearly him criticizing the U.S. neocolonialist policies toward Latin America. But again, rhetoric is one thing. Action is another. We've seen that Macron and Schultz have criticized the U.S. new Cold War in China. But when the rubber hits the road, they actually haven't significantly challenged that new Cold War. That's a point I'm gonna come back to later. Now, it's very easy to explain why the leaders of Germany and France are taking a much more conciliatory tone toward China than they have been against Russia. And it's because for them, China is one of their most important trading partners. And Russia has been an important trading partner, but they're finding alternatives to Russia. They cannot find alternatives to China. Also. China has the largest economy in the world, according to purchasing power parity, which is a much better measurement than nominal GDP. But anyway, these are the figures from the Bank Santander looking at German, Germany's foreign trade. And you can see that its main trading partners in terms of exports, number one is the United States and number two is China. So not about 9% of Germany's exports go to the US and about 8% go to China. That is to say that Germany exports more to China than it does even to France or the Netherlands or Poland or Italy or other parts of the European Union. And in terms of imports, China is the most important import partner of Germany. 12% of German imports come from China. In second place is the Netherlands, 7.5%. In third place is the US, 6%, followed by Poland, Italy, the other parts of the European Union. So for Germany, China is probably its most important trading partner, even more important than the US, especially for imports, which if you're trying to diversify your trade, you can often find other markets for your exports, 
but you might not be able to find replacements for those imports, at least at the same price level. They might be much more expensive. So China is extremely important for Germany. And that explains why, while the U.S. is pressuring Germany to decouple economically from China, it simply can't do so. In France, the situation is similar, although not quite as close to China. If you look at, at France's main trading partners, China is among them. It's one of the top partners, although it's not nearly as important as other countries. So for instance, 14% of French exports go to Germany, making Germany by far the most important market for France. And 17% of imports come from Germany, making it by far the most important uh, exporter to France. But China is also important. 5% of France's exports go to China compared to 7% to the US. And 7% of France's imports come from China compared to 4% from the US. So France imports more from China than it imports from the United States. So those economic factors explain why Europe is is very hesitant and is trying not to accelerate this new Cold War drive against China while it is actually waging war on Russia. As Germany's foreign, min foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock said, we are at war with Russia. We are fighting a war against Russia. We can fight this war only together. A clear example of the difference between rhetoric and action is the decision by the government of the Netherlands, which is also a member of the EU, to ban the export of advanced microchip technology to China. This is following obediently along with the US technological war on China. The US government banned the export of advanced technologies, including superconductors, microchips, and quantum computer parts. And the website My Europe revealed that the Dutch curb on microchip, te microchip tech exports for China could become EU-wide. I'm reading here from this website. This is in March, a month ago. The decision taken by the Dutch government to restrict export of advanced microchip technology to China may be expanded to a European-wide scope, says Valdis Dombrov Dombrovskis, the European Commission vice president in charge of trade relations, the way export controls function in the EU, it's a national decision, but there is a possibility also to bring this decision to the EU level. The Dutch authorities have indicated that they have interest, and they said they're going to be discussing this with other member states of the EU. So this raises the question, France as a member of the EU, is it going to challenge these sanctions on China? Is it going to join other member states of the EU, like the Netherlands, in waging this tech war and trade war and economic war against China? And by extension, if the EU joins, is France going to go along with the rest of the EU or is it going to go independent? And can the EU even resist pressure by the US not to join in in this economic war against China? What if the US threatens sanctions against Europe? What if the U.S. threatens sanctions against France? Will France actually grow a spine and say that we are an independent sovereign country and we will not tolerate the U.S. telling us who we can do trade with? Thus far, Macron's words have only been rhetorical. He has not actually challenged 
the sanctions and the U.S. economic policies of war aimed toward China. And until he does so, we should be very skeptical of what he says and look at what he actually does. Another clear example of Europe's rhetoric not matching its actions can be seen in the attempt, the brief attempt to try to circumvent illegal U.S. sanctions on Iran. And this was reported on by the website, the Burse and Bazaar Foundation. And the article is titled Iran Trade Mechanism Instex is Shutting Down. It explains how in 2019, Britain, France and Germany created the instrument in support of trade exchanges called the Instex. And this was created, it was a state owned company created in response to the Donald Trump administration withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal in May 2018 and reimposing sanctions on Iran illegally in violation of international law. And European companies wanted to continue doing trade with Iran. So in August 2018, representatives of the EU, France, Germany and Britain issued a joint statement in which they called to preserve, quote, effective financial channels with Iran and the continuation of Iran's export of oil and gas. So this was the EU and Britain publicly claiming they were going to challenge the illegal U.S. sanctions on Iran and continue trading with Iran using Instex. However, it didn't go anywhere. It was a failure. And why? This article explains it. Quote, Many European technocrats were reluctant to support a project which had the overt aim of blunting U.S. sanctions power, even at a time when figures like the French finance minister Bruno Le Maire and Dutch prime minister Mark Rutte were making bold statements about the need for European economic sovereignty. Then in May 2019, when the Trump administration canceled a set of sanctions waivers, European purchases of Iranian oil ended. So this rhetoric we've heard about European sovereignty is not new. We've heard it for years. And this is another example of where when the U.S. threatened Europe, Europe stopped trading with Iran. This article notes that many considered the Instex project doomed even before the first transaction was completed. Most of the blame for Instex failure must lie with the Europeans. European officials promised a historic project to assert their economic sovereignty, but they never really committed to that undertaking. So here we have a clear example of France and also Germany and Britain and even EU leaders claiming they were going to maintain more independence from the US. And here we are in 2023, the EU is even more dependent and subordinated to the US than it was back then. And that was when Donald Trump was president. Now with the proxy war in Ukraine, Europe and the US are joined at the hip. Now, obviously China is a much more important trading partner for France and the rest of Europe than, than Iran is. Iran is a major exporter of oil and gas, but Europe can find new sources of oil and gas. They cannot replace their trading partnership with China, including China's massive market with 1.4 billion people and China being the factory of the world. So there is that factor, to be fair. But again, I'm repeating myself a lot here, but Macron may say that he wants sovereignty. I don't doubt that. 
I don't doubt that he actually believes that. But when it comes to the actual reality of the political and economic questions, like will France challenge the rest of the European Union if they don't go along with it? Will France challenge illegal US sanctions on China like it failed to do on Iran? And if France is not willing to stand up to the, e to the US tangibly, yet alone to the rest of the European Union, which it's a member of, which limits its own room of operation, then this is empty rhetoric from Macron. Now, we should keep in mind that Macron also has a, an invested interest in trying to distract from his domestic problems at home inside France, where he is extremely unpopular. Macron is himself a millionaire and a former banker, and he has implemented a lot of right-wing neoliberal economic policies. And right now, Macron actually has some of the lowest approval ratings that he's had since he first entered office as president in 2017. According to the polling firm Morning Consult, as of March 21st, only 23% of people in France support Macron. And disapproval is 72%. That is less than one third of French people support Macron and nearly three quarters oppose him. And his highest approval rating was 42%. And that was in this new phase of the war in Ukraine when Russia invaded in February. And that was when he was most popular. So he's never been higher than 42%. And he's been consistently in, in the 20 percentile range or low 30s. So, I mean, he's deeply unpopular. And right now in France, there are huge protests going on against Macron's neoliberal economic policy. Specifically, he's been trying to raise the retirement age and he was forcing it through without a vote by the parliament, by the parliament, by the National Assembly, just imposing this executive order raising the retirement age. There's this hilarious video that went viral on social media showing people in Paris at a cafe just, you know, eating normally and sitting around while protesters set off huge fires. I mean, the French do not mess around when it comes to protests and the French labor movement and labor unions are still very strong and have been resisting these right-wing economic policies imposed by Macron while corporations and the rich in France keep getting richer and are making record profits while poor and working people in France are their real wages are declining and inflation is skyrocketing and their standard of living is declining as things become more and more expensive. So it's class war that's going on in France. So clearly Macron does have an interest in distracting from that. In fact, Recent data shows that right now the profit share of corporations in the Eurozone is at the highest stage, the highest level in a decade. It represents 42%. And meanwhile, while corporations across the EU are making record profits, real wages are declining. They're falling sharply across the Eurozone. So once again, this is class war. Wages of workers in France, in Germany, in Spain, and Italy are declining while corporate profits are rising. And Macron, as a millionaire banker, you know, right-wing politician, he is just instead trying to distract attention from that with some of this rhetoric, which sounds nice, but at the end of the day, is he actually going to live up to that rhetoric? 
And again, I think we should be skeptical. In terms of other politicians in Europe, there is definitely not a consensus on this, far from it. In fact, after Politico published that interview with Macron, in which he called for Europe to be more independent of the US, we saw that many politicians in Europe have been criticizing Macron. Politico published an article titled, China Hawks Tell Macron You Don't Speak for Europe. It quoted a group of China skeptic lawmakers, so anti-China hawks from around the world who were part of an anti-China group called the IPAC, the Interparliamentary Alliance on China. And they said it should be emphasized that Macron's words are severely out of step with the feeling across Europe's legislatures and beyond. And they were especially angry about Macron's comments about Taiwan, saying that this is not a priority for us. This is something that the U.S. is concerned about, but not us. We don't want a conflict over Taiwan. The Guardian, which is the newspaper of the British ruling class, they published a very similar report titled Macron sparks anger by saying Europe should not be vassal in U.S.-China clash. And they mentioned a tweet from the neoconservative U.S. Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, in, in which he condemned Macron for meeting with Xi and for calling for independence from Washington. I'm not going to play the video. Marco Rubio is not worth any time listening to. This guy is a complete war criminal and warmonger. The Guardian summed it up saying that if Macron speaks for all of Europe, then maybe the U.S. should consider focusing its foreign policy on containing China and leave Europe to handle the war in Ukraine. So basically saying the U.S. is telling Europe, if you don't join us in the new Cold War on China, we're not going to help you wage the new Cold War on Russia. And the Wall Street Journal, which represents a faction of the Republican Party largely, it was one of the only newspapers in the U.S. that was pro-Trump, and their editorial board said that, that Macron's comments were unhelpful and they said they undermine U.S. and Japanese attempts to weaken China in the Western Pacific while encouraging U.S. politicians who want to re reduce American commitments in Europe. They also quote, quoted members of the European Parliament who criticized Macron and said he can't speak on behalf of Europe. And they, they quoted other people from Germany and other countries who were criticizing Macron. The most important contradiction that this exposes is the difference between France and Germany on one side and Eastern Europe. We've seen that Eastern Europe is extremely pro-US and against not only Russia, but also against China. And Politico acknowledged this in another report that was titled, Europe's Eastern Half Claps Back at Macron. We need the US. Politico wrote, Stop driving Europe away from the United States, dismayed Central and Eastern European officials. They fumed in response to Macron's comments. And they said the comments rattled those new, near the EU's eastern edge who have historically favored closer ties with the Americans and pushed for a harsher approach to Beijing. And they quoted the far-right prime minister of Poland, Mateusz Morawiecki, who said, quote, Instead of building strategic autonomy from the United States, I propose a strategic partnership with the United States.
And by the way, it's not a coincidence that Poland's far-right prime minister is actually traveling to the United States this April 11th to meet with President Joe Biden and the State Department and the Pentagon to deepen their ties. And while leaving the capital, Warsaw, Morawiecki said that U.S.-Polish relations, quote, have not been so good for a long time, and perhaps they have never been so strong. This is deeply ironic because even Obama has admitted that Poland is, quote, essentially authoritarian. Poland, which is a member of the EU and NATO, is has a far-right authoritarian regime. In fact, Foreign Policy Magazine, which is the mouthpiece of the U.S. ruling class in Washington, they also admitted back in 2017 that Poland's Prime Minister, Morawiecki, is a far-right populist, they said. They noted that he is a millionaire ex-banker and his government has, quote, encouraged xenophobic nationalism and trampled on democratic institutions. So this is obviously very hypocritical. I talked about this blatant hypocrisy in a separate episode and report that you can find over at geopoliticaleconomy.com. I'll link to it in the description below. I was discussing the so-called Summit for Democracy that the U.S. State Department held this March in which Poland's uh, far-right government was invited, including the far-right president of Poland, Andrzej Duda. And the reality is that the U.S. knows that Poland has a far-right authoritarian regime, but because Poland is anti-Russian and anti-China, the U.S. considers it an important ally, and Washington doesn't care that Poland is governed by a far-right reactionary authoritarian regime because they don't care about democracy. They care about imperial hegemony and maintaining their hegemony over the world. So the point to take away from this is that just because Macron made those comments doesn't actually mean that European policy is going to shift significantly or really at all. I want to stress again that back in 2018, Macron actually called for Europe to create a European army to defend against the US. And this very much angered Donald Trump back when he was president. This was reported on Politico in 2018. It noted that Macron called for Europe to build a, quote, real European army to protect itself from Russia, China, and the US. Trump attacked Macron and said this is very insulting. Macron said in an interview, quote, when I see President Trump announcing that he's quitting a major disarmament treaty with Russia, which was formed after the 1980s Euro missile crisis that hit Europe, who is the main victim? Europe and its security. We have to protect ourselves with respect to China, Russia, and even the United States of America. We need a Europe which defends itself better alone without just depending on the United States in a more sovereign manner. And after Macron said that, the former German Chancellor Angela Merkel said the same thing. She called for a real, true European army. This is a report in The Guardian noting back in November 2018, Angela Merkel has said EU leaders should one day consider a real, true European army shortly after Donald Trump ramped up a Twitter attack on Emmanuel Macron over the same idea. Speaking to the European Parliament in Strasbourg, the German Chancellor backed the bold step in European defense policy, saying, quote, we have to look at the vision of one day creating a real, true European army. So that's the rhetoric, but where is the army? 
Here we are four and a half years later and there's not a single development. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The proxy war in Ukraine has made Europe even more dependent on the United States than ever, even more subservient to the United States. So what this reflects is that there is an irreconcilable contradiction here. If France and Germany want to be more independent of the United States, they have to do so as countries and not as the European Union. Because as we've seen, multiple countries in the EU, especially in Eastern Europe, do not want to break with the US. They're basically US proxy regimes and client states. And they want to join the US in the new Cold War, not only in Russia, but also against China. So if France and Germany want to truly be independent, they have to break with the EU. So that means that Macron is put in a situation. What is more important to him? His own country's sovereignty and independent foreign policy or the European Union? Because he can't have both. It's very clear from that. It's clear in Germany as well. They can't have both. And again and again and again, what we've seen is that despite some leaders, at least rhetorically claiming they want more independence, like Macron, at the end of the day, when the rubber hits the road, they always end up siding with the US because of the disciplining apparatus of the European Union itself. France does not control the EU. The EU is really controlled by a bunch of unelected neoconservative right-wing bureaucrats like Ursula von der Leyen, who are deeply committed to the transatlantic imperialist alliance with the United States that is aimed at maintaining Western unipolar hegemony and preventing any other powers from challenging Western neocolonial dominance of the world. It really is that simple. A clear example of France failing to follow through with its commitments like this is the Minsk Accord that was negotiated in 2015 to try to end the war in Ukraine. And this was negotiated by Macron's predecessor, Francois Hollande, and the former German Chancellor Angela Merkel with the previous president of Ukraine, Petro Poroshenko. This was after 2014 when the US organized a coup in Ukraine that overthrew its democratically elected geopolitically neutral government and installed a pro-Western regime led by the billionaire oligarch Petro Poroshenko. And in this negotiation in 20, 2015, there was Minsk I in 2014, which failed, and then Minsk II in 2015, and they came to an agreement and Ukraine agreed to decentralize the authority of the state and provide autonomy for Donbass, for Donetsk and Lugansk, and Ukraine failed to do so. And it wasn't just Ukraine that, that failed to live up to its commitments in this agreement. France and Germany, which were guarantors, which oversaw the negotiations, also failed to pressure Ukraine to abide by Minsk II. And we now know why. In fact, this April, there was a video published from two Russian pranksters known as Vivan and Lexis, and they tricked France's former president, Francois Hollande, into thinking that they were Petro Poroshenko, the former president of Ukraine. And they held a, a call with him, a video call. And in this call, Hollande admitted, quote, there was the idea that it was Putin who had wanted to buy time, but it was us, France and Germany, 
who wanted to buy time to allow Ukraine to recover, to strengthen its resources. That's why we have to defend the Minsk negotiations in which Poroshenko played a very positive role. It was precisely during these seven years that there were ways for Ukraine to strengthen itself. And this is where Putin was wrong. He underestimated the capacity of the Ukrainians and their resistance. So this is him acknowledging that France and Germany used the Minsk Accords to, to, buy, to buy time, to give Ukraine time to militarize, to prepare for war with Russia. Now, after these, this video came out, Hollande claimed that, that he didn't mean to say that, and he claimed that he was tricked by these Russian pranksters or whatever. But this is not the first time he has made those comments. The former French president made very similar comments back in December in an interview with the Kiev Independent, which is a Western government-funded anti-Russia media outlet. And in this interview, the Kiev Independent asked Hollande, the former French president, about an interview that the German Chancellor Angela Merkel did with Die Zeit, the German newspaper, in which she said that the Minsk II protocols that in terms of the Minsk II protocols, quote, it was obvious that the conflict was going to be frozen, that the problem was not solved, but it gave Ukraine precious time. And, and then they asked Hollande if he agreed, and he said, yes, Angela Merkel is right on this point. He said, since 2014, Ukraine has strengthened its military posture. Indeed, the Ukrainian army was completely different from that of 2014. It was better trained and equipped. It is the merit of the Minsk agreements to have given the Ukrainian army this opportunity. So this is a clear example of Europe claiming that it was going to do something that angered the, the U.S., which is support peace between Ukraine and Russia. But in reality, Europe was simply acting as basically an accomplice of Washington and tricking Moscow into thinking that Kiev was going to abide by this agreement that Paris and Berlin helped to negotiate, but were never really serious about implementing. Ukraine's current Western-backed leader, Zelensky, has also basically admitted the same, that the Minsk Accords were about giving Ukraine time to prepare for war with Russia, of course, backed by NATO. I have a separate report about that, which I will also link to in the description below. So with that, I'm going to conclude here. I, I think I hit every important angle. This was a much longer episode than I had anticipated. But the main point I want you all to take away is that France, Macron, even German leaders have been saying for years now that they want Europe to be more independent of the U.S. But rhetoric and action are not the same thing. And if we look again and again and again, we can see that France says one thing and does another. Macron is caught in a difficult situation. I'll give him credit. I have no sympathy for this man. He's reprehensible, but he is in a difficult situation because if he does see himself as this Charles de Gaulle figure and he wants to go back to this legacy of French nationalism, like for instance, the former uh, French president Charles de Gaulle, he did withdraw France, France partially from NATO, from part of the military command of NATO. If Macron does see himself as a de Gaulle-like figure, he's going to have to challenge the European Union, not only the U.S. But France is in this impossible position. If it truly is serious about strategic autonomy, the entire EU has to change. And there, there are, is no political will 
for the rest of the EU to change. But he's also in a difficult situation because France cannot give up its important trading relationship with China. China is one of its most important trading partners. It would be economic suicide. And yet the US is pressuring it to do so. So at the end of the day, it is Washington pressuring Europe to commit economic suicide on its behalf. And in his comments, Macron acknowledged that. Macron said that the Inflation Reduction Act passed in the United States is doing serious economic damage to Europe. So we see that Europe is deindustrializing. Many of its companies are moving across the Atlantic to the United States. Europe, several European economies are potentially on the verge of a recession. And meanwhile, there's not really much that these leaders can do because of the structure of the European Union, which is deeply undemocratic. It's thoroughly neoliberal. And, and in terms of its economic policy, it's deeply right wing and pro corporate and pro big bank. And when in terms of foreign policy, it is completely subordinated to the United States and to NATO. So with that, I'm not going to repeat myself anymore. This is already long enough. I want to thank everyone for joining me. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. I'm Ben Norton. If you like the work that we do here, you can please support us over at geopoliticaleconomy.com slash support, or you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy. I want to thank everyone. I'll see you next time.